The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategy works with CEOs and their leadership to reach a new destination by learning how to maximize people, process, and systems as one effective team. To learn more, please go to 40strategy.com. Before we introduce our guest, I'd like to do a little shout out to Joe Pointer. Joe Pointer is a partner that I used to work together with at a multinational firm many, many moons ago. And he's been a great listener to the Measure Success podcast and also is an executive and working with our guest right now. And so thank you, Joe, for reintroducing us to Martin Mall after we've not been connected for the last few years. So thank you, Joe, for that. And with that, we're going to um, go through the bio for Martin Mall is a, J, is a JD and founder investor after 15 years with a top 10 West Coast CPA firm. Most recently, he was their CEO and managing partner. Martin left the world of big firms to found Keymaster, which invests in and manages accounting related businesses. Along with his partner, Kristen, Martin manages bookkeeping and advisory services, which uh, provides distributed share bookkeeping, controller, and CFO advisory services. Well, the company has expanded rapidly to 25 advisors serving clients across the country in a multitude of industries. An avid cyclist, uh, Martin serves as the board of trustees of Pacific University and the board of directors of New Avenues for Youth and Cycle Oregon. Martin has a law degree from Northwestern College of Law at Lewis and Clark College and a Bachelor of Arts from the Robert D. Clark Honors College at the University of Oregon. His wife, Louise, have two children, Emily, who resides in Portland, and Ryan, who resides in Seattle. Martin, welcome to the Measure Success Podcast. Thanks, Carl. Great to be here. So, Martin, if you could start out, please tell the audience a little bit more about Breakaway. So, Breakaway is, in, in the world of accounting, we call it client accounting services. It's basically bookkeeping, controller, and CFO services for companies as small as a million dollars in revenue and as large as maybe a hundred million dollars in revenue. And we are distributed share. In other words, part-time. Distributed share is a fancy word for part-time CFO. Good, good. And so uh, one of the things, we, we had a great conversation prior to this, which was a lot of fun and extraordinarily interesting time. We, we met back previously as we were supporting strategic planning efforts with the previous firm that you're working with. Things have changed a lot for the two years for a number of reasons, obviously COVID being the one that everyone knows about, but globalization, inflation, so many different challenges have come up from, from unable to know if we're going to have our Christmas presents, right? And you'll be able to get, because if we have um, last time, brother, just 
a couple weekends ago, I was flying over Long Beach and there were over 60 ships still waiting at port, right, to get in. It, it's a fascinating type right, type right now in the marketplace of stuff that we haven't seen like this. And you could argue going back to the 70s when there was people waiting in line for gas, right? You know, it's a, it's a very extraordinary time. So I'm curious from what you've been seeing in the business uh, when it comes to, in the, now let's talk about from the accounting bean counter side. What has changed and what got you interested in heading down this? What trends were you seeing that was taking place? Love the question. And really what we saw coming, and I had been talking about it really in our industry, probably, and, and you know, on the speaking circuit and with fellow managing partners and CEOs for about 10 years of this shift that accounting is going to be, in, in, you know, in my opinion, more more akin to you know, physicians where you have the kind of the core accounting work done, the, the really the high level brain trust work done stateside and everything else being shifted because you just don't need, no different than a surgeon may wanna take your blood, they may wanna take your temperature, they may wanna do input, but you simply can't afford it. And there's not enough surgeons to do that. And really what we're seeing in our industry is the same thing. And then we had the pandemic and for the world of accounting, that was like throwing this massive accelerant on trends that were already happening. And so it, it probably took what I think may have, would have happened in 10 years and made it happen in two. Wow. So th- one of the obvious parts around this is being able to work from home, right? So yes. working from home is now acceptable, right? For many industries who have the ability and the technology to be able to go forward with that. So explain us a little bit more what that means for being able to manage the books. Cause historically, once again, somebody myself has comes from that, that financial background, you felt really comfortable when the controller and the accounting manager and the GL accountant, they were all sitting in the same room yes. and there was a sense of control and trust that took place. Right. Now that no longer seems necessary. How do you make sure though, that that trust and accuracy is still there, right? For somebody who, as a business owner, right, they're concerned that the books are still right. And they might have people not just in one office, but perhaps they're in multiple countries, you know, in a different area. So how has that changed and how has that confidence increased with the, with the existing conditions? Yeah. Well, and, and that's the funny thing. And, and there's a whole conversation that we could have in this new age of what does it mean to even be a firm? What is a firm when everybody's distributed around around the country. So whether it's, you know, whether it's a big brand name or a small firm of five people, well, other than the fact that, you know, was the office really ever necessary to make that a firm? It's like, no, it's standards, it's standard operating procedures, it's culture, it's trust, it's all those things that are inherent to a company's culture. And so at Breakaway, we just, and the funny thing is we were already doing that. We leaned into that more, not so, so, and, and, you hate to say, oh yeah, the, you know, we didn't blink, but we really didn't blink because our model was, was in, in essence already fully 100% remote. And so in answer to your question, and one of the things that's interesting really about bookkeeping, controller and CFO, and I, I think you and I talked about this, but you could call yourself a CFO, I could call myself a CFO, but actually so could, and no offense to my barber, but my barber could call themselves a CFO. My mom could call herself a CFO or a bookkeeper or controller. There is no accreditation. There is no standard. Actually, I can't call myself a barber in the state of Oregon because I'm not licensed, but my barber can call himself a CFO. 
And so one of the things we want to do at Breakaway, and we're really leaning into, is this whole concept of accreditation. A Breakaway advisor can't call themselves a CFO until we are convinced that they have the requisite skills to be a CFO. So it's it's really leaning into brand. And our goal, I mean, in, in all modesty, our goal is to have, I mean, we're, we're at 25, we want to have 25,000. We, we want to be a national brand for distributed share CFO controller and bookkeeper. And when we say it's a breakaway CFO, it means something. And there's actually standards around it. And that, that sounds like an advertisement, but it really is. That was our goal from day one. And it's, it's, it's really kind of proven itself out. So that was a softball question for me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's perfect. And, and so you have such an interesting, we talk about shortages, but when you look across the pond or in South America, there's not a shortage of labor. That's right. So, but we also have these different roles that you talked about. So let's talk about the CFO first, since you just most recently mentioned it. For people who are going to be quote unquote CFO accredited, are these going to be more domestic based uh, personnel? Yes. Supported then by an offshore team. And so the, the phrase again, you know, as you might recall, my background is in healthcare. So a phrase we use is you practice at the top of your license. And so that CFO, yes, the, the really critical decision-making happens domestically, happens stateside, but the functions, the putting the numbers on the forms, the, the analytics, the stuff that supports the CFO, it's going to be done offshore. And, and if, if you don't think that your work is already, you know, whether that's uh, Deloitte and Touche or whether that's Bank of America, it's already, that's already been done. Our goal is to take that same big concept and, and apply it to, to middle market which is really wide open. Yeah, it, it, and, and that is actually from a market perspective, what you're saying there is that, that very few people are serving that today and, and it's very fragmented, right, market from terms of competitors that you may have. And, and so let's go, now we, we talked about the CFO market and, and so it's interesting when you're recruiting for people who could become advisors, I'm kind of curious who are you looking for to help fill these, these um, type of roles? So we are looking for people who have experience. I mean, we will train. And so you mentioned Joe, Joe's a great example. I mean, ideally someone who's been a CFO, who's done the things, right? Whether that's recapitalization or refinancing, all the things, the decision-making skills that's just come with time and grade in the, you know, time in the saddle. But we'll also take people who, you know, from an accounting firm, which we have, or from a smaller, you know, as a role in a controller and, and train them up. And then in bookkeeping, I mean, we're, you know, we, we actually, we do say we do provide bookkeeping because that's really the the core. A good CFO, I mean, it's you know, in in, in accounting, you say garbage in, garbage out. So you can have an amazing CFO, but if they don't have solid books, right? They're they're giving you analysis. You know, you're building a a foundation on on quicksand. So that's why for us, bookkeeping is an integral part of what we do. Whether that's done domestically or offshore, you've got to have solid books to, to make someone a good CFO. That's right. That's right. So, and so also it's interesting in, in, in different cases, are you going to have individuals that it's funny, actually literally, it's funny. The book I have right in front of me, coincidentally enough, is called half retire. I'm not, this is not me by the way, but this is a book that, that somebody had, had gotten, but, but interesting concept, right. Of these are potentially some of the people that you could be bringing in, right. Somebody who is, is, has a lot of skills, a lot of experience, they're not looking to work 55, 60 hours a week anymore. 
but they're more than happy to work 20 to 25 hours a week, right? Or, or 30 hours a week or whatever they might, they might end up going towards. Is this a real market opportunity for you to get some of this really high, highly skilled labor where they're almost desiring that lifestyle? Absolutely. That is, that is right now of our advisors, that's predominantly the, that's kind of the archetype, right? Which is, you know, I like golf or whatever your, you know, whatever your advice is, I don't want to do it every day. And so, so we provide again, that, that opportunity for someone who's got the year's experience. The other archetype though, interestingly enough, is the other side of that half retired, which is half hired, which are the generation that says, you know, I looked at my dad and I don't want to be my dad. I don't want to work those kind of hours. I'm more than happy to work 20 or 30 hours and get paid for 20 or 30 hours and not have the responsibilities that I look at my peers having, you know, the, the stories of people sleeping at their desks and all the things that, that I think the industry has not yet caught up to the fact that people don't want to do that anymore. They just don't. And, and yet we really haven't, in, in my industry in accounting, we haven't shifted, we haven't learned how to crank out the work with, without people working those kind of hours. So that's, we're, we're getting actually interest both from the 30-year-olds as well as the 60-year-olds. Mm. Different sides of the spectrum. Yeah, I actually had not thought of that part, but very interesting. I mean, you know, if people were that where they're going to be okay with a certain part and they don't want to get fully indwelt, right, with all the challenges of, of, of an organization, but they still like the core of it, right? Like, like meaning they they really do enjoy accounting, like making sure the numbers are right. They like giving proper guidance and they're more than okay of helping to help close a financing deal, right? Because they need their negotiating skills for lack of a better term, right? To help an owner close a loan or close a small fundraise or whatever it might be in that individual part. That's very interesting. So now let's go to the other part, right? So now we have this global side, right? I think you mentioned me, you have teams in South America and you have teams in Asia as well. We've got a team. Well, we have advisors. So we have advisors. We have an advisor in London, an advisor in Spain, an advisor in Rio that are actually doing, that are, they're doing stateside work but they're, they're living, they're living in, in, in foreign countries. But then we also have a team in India and a team in Mexico supporting, supporting all of the breakaway advisors. And so I'm curious from, from your standpoint, how difficult has it been or not to be able to attain qualified talent and, and these other countries where you were providing credible and effective bookkeeping skills that's required for us accounting companies yeah or sorry for us you know for us for for tax purposes right for gap the different areas that are along with that it's actually been gratifyingly and maybe a little bit you know you and i are both parents right also a little scarily easy the quality of the grads that we're finding is really impressive right they're 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 well-trained they're dedicated that, you know, they're oftentimes their first generation college graduates, which means they're, they're hungry. I mean, I have a friend who calls them PhDs, poor, hungry, and driven, and they're all three. So it actually hasn't been that hard to find really good, honest, again, all the attributes that you would look for stateside, it's, it, they're out there. And then of course the, the cost rate, right, is, significantly lower, right? Compared to what you would have somebody here in the US 
because we have this huge trial, you know, everyone who's listening to this knows they didn't have to put in a $15 an hour minimum wage rate, right? You know, with federal because it's already past there, meaning the effective weight. And that's for somebody who's serving burgers, right? Somewhere. Now we have actually somebody who actually has basic professional skills, like in something like accounting, you know, we might be happening to pay them $25, $30, $40 an hour in the United States. I've got to imagine the the rate difference. So are we talking 50%, 60%, 70%, significantly less, right? To be able to hire that. And then you can pass along those savings and take the risk out for the people who are hiding your talent. Is that yeah. reasonable exactly. to say? Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's and the thing is, and, and we're very aware of this, it's not, um, we're not, these are not low-paying jobs, right? I mean, we're paying market wages, we're paying good competitive compensations for the area that they're in. And so it's, it's really just, it's, it's labor arbitrage and, and we're doing it. So we're very proud of, you know, the, the wages that we provide and the jobs that we're providing because we're thrilled to have them. In fact, and, and the fact is we, we, all the values that we have with breakaway stateside, we have is abroad as well. So time with your family, work-life balance, all, you know, it's, it's really, it translates. There's really no difference. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. Cause that's not, I think a lot of times people, and then I have unfortunately been over to China and to the factories over there and right. Some, some of the rationale reasons of, of people would get frustrated about how, how work conditions are in different areas are true. And, and, but what you're saying is you're, you're trying not to make it that same way. You're actually, for lack of a better term, it's not a sweatshop, right? These are, these are professionals who are working. They just happen to be working at a different country. And I'm assuming most cases, English is a second language. So how do you deal with that barrier? Right? So somebody uh, Spanish is their first, language or, you know, they have an Indian dialect, you know, whatever they have, help me understand how you're dealing with that challenge, right? Of, of, of proper communication where a CFO who's based in Wichita, right. You know, is, is going to be able to properly understand dialogue from somebody who's, who's coming from India as an example. Great question. And here's the cool thing in my world, we actually do have a language and it's debits and credits, Mm -hmm. right? So, so that's our core is, is, it's, it's numbers, right? And so, you know, a debit is a debit in India, maybe it's left side, right side, but, or maybe that's the other side of the equator, but a debit is a debit and a credit is a credit. So the core financials are the same. And yes, we have translation issues that require, but what all it really does is it requires you to be clearer with your communication, right? And, and that's a good attribute. And it's one of the things actually we look for in our CFOs, we don't want CFOs who, you know, the, the, the tragedy oftentimes, especially in small business, is you meet with your accountant and they present a bunch of information and the client actually doesn't understand it, but they're too embarrassed to say that, right? And so because they talk in acronyms and they talk, you know, so, so really our ability to speak clearly to an Indian team member is really no different than the ability to speak clearly to someone for whom fin- finance is not their first language. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a great, one of the things we talk about when we're writing strategic plans is you want to write things that are in 12 year language, meaning yeah. your, your niece or nephew who's 12 years old can understand it. Well, there's right. no reason why all other language shouldn't be in that same basic understanding. Right. You know, exactly. because what we're trying to avoid is delay miscommunication errors Right. And, and the more simple and codified it is, the easier it is to understand and, and more likely it's to take place. And basically what you're saying is when you when you have a right, right. I've always said that accounting is the language of business. So you got that covered. And then you just make sure that communication of the, of them is in 
uh, as simple terms as, as possible to make sure that we can close the books for lack of a better term. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. So when some, let's say there's a firm who's getting started up with you and, and they've never done this, right? So, so they, once again, they've always traditionally had something and we're seeing this with our clients and, and other people that I know, they've been having a faithful, wonderful, let's just say for lack of a better term, strong accounting manager, or maybe even a controller. And, and, and they've been with them through thick and thin, and they've paid them while they've had vacation time. And I mean, sick in their family, perhaps they even come down with COVID and they've paid them consistently through this. And then that person got paid double their pay because of the labor shortages and they're gone in a heartbeat. Okay, so the company's freaking out, right? Because they all of a sudden lost their trusted internal person. So now you're going overseas. How do you get the, the local company to get comfort, right? That their books is being quote unquote inputted, right? If you may, you know, somewhere else overseas and, and that there's going to be confidentiality, trust, their information is not going to get stolen. You know, how do you get people to get comfortable about that type of stuff? Through a lot of dialogue. I mean, at the end of the day, to your point um, about the person who, you know, was loyal and, and until they got their salary doubled and they, they left. Oftentimes it's also that person who was loyal until their grandson got into a drug or gambling habit and then ended up, you know, taken from the company stateside. So it's, 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 it's having, making sure that people understand that all, all of our work that we do is checks and balances, right? There is never, and, and the great thing about fully distributed is we do have that, right? Nobody has, one point of information, the things that that can happen, it's kind of almost like an IT, and I, I'm now on really thin ice here, even talking about the world of IT, but you know, people talk about, well, I don't want to put my information in the cloud, which has redundancy and you know, security, because I really want my servers in my closet in my office. Well, those office servers, those are the ones that are at risk. It's not the cloud. And so it's kind of similarly, you're taking your accounting work to the cloud, which we provide redundancy security, um, and then replicability. So we have any one of our clients, if they lose their CFO, we hope they never do, but if they lose their CFO, those all we require our breakaway advisors to have everything documented. So you whether you wanna take that away from breakaway, honestly, or whether you wanna just find a new person, everything's written, right? It's literally turnkey, which most people don't have if they're, you know, if they're working for a company. So. We, we try to be kind of like that same, the same conversation about there is safety in the cloud. Yep, it seems scary, but it's actually, there's a lot of reasons why it's less risky, not more. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. And I think that the analogy of, of being in the cloud is, is true and, and so much safer. But what you're saying is not only do you have redundancies of just like, it does, who's to say you can't get fraud issues right here in the US due to multiple reasons. But what you're also saying is, is that you have the ability to have checks and balances that are actually in a weird way, making it tighter. I, I don't know about you, Martin, but I, I remember for many of my years of either being within companies or even auditing companies, true segregation of duties was actually cost prohibitive in right. most cases. Exactly. You know, exactly. you actually couldn't have true, true segregation of duties because the cost would have been extraordinary. And we had to kind of cover that up. And I mean, I got to be careful of that statement, but I mean, you know, we, we kind of had to make excuses why it was good enough, right, for covering for internal control purposes, but it was never truly there there, 
you know, yeah. there's too few people most of the time because most of the time accounting things were, were had thinly staffed, especially in the small to medium sized companies. But what you're saying with this is you can actually provide real segregation of duties where there truly are two different people that are d- doing checks and controls and, and much more cost effective than we historically have been able to do it. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And, and there's, it, it, what was interesting about, you know, some of the things we're talking about of just how some people think this is just happening now, but, you know, I remember back in the mid nineties, we were already doing hoteling, meaning right. we weren't working in the office. That, that was, that, that started way back then. People were working remotely in certain areas for an extraordinarily long period of time, you know, going beyond that. And, and people have been offshoring these things for a long period of time, but there's like this scare of, oh, it's just happening now. But what you said is the acceleration is what the real, and, and, and firms like you are now making it more turnkey, right? For the buyers of it. It's a lot harder as a firm to go out and say, I'm going to now find some offshore people. One, one of my good friends who he left a company and he ran into this situation. He was foreshadowing what's happening now where he got to a point, it was a private equity firm, very well known. They eventually got rid of the entire accounting department. He was the only person left as a CFO, and then eventually got rid of him too. I mean, it was it was this process. It wasn't overnight, but but it was this three year process. And he was like, it was it was unsettling for him, if that makes sense, yeah. when he was seeing what was taking place. But it was it was a trend that really foreshadowed and accelerated what's happening today a lot with what you're doing. And, and there's not a whole how do I say this? If you're in the market right now and you're not concerned about this, and if you're making one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year as, as a a controller somewhere, you should be, I would think, a little concerned. <laughs> you better be providing a lot of value. I think that's hopefully the message here. Carl, yeah. you took the words out of my mouth. I think that's what, again, I'm a humanist at heart and I'm an optimist at heart. And that's what's exciting about it is it does, it just says, okay, what kind of value can I bring? Right. And that's, I know you've built your career on that. I built my career on that. It's as long as you're doing that, you're, you're, you, you should let's face it, if you're good, you work yourself out of a job and you work yourself out of a job pretty regularly because that's the whole point of, you know, if you, if you're not growing, you know, then you, then you become stagnant and, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunities. And I, I, I feel bad for the young accountants who right now think, oh, they're just job. I cannot tell you the amount of job hopping, like you said, that's going on in the accounting industry. It's like, well, I can get more here. I can get more here. And they view it as kind of, and unlimited. I'm like, you know, at some point when that job goes to Guadalajara, it's not coming back to your point about your friend with private equity. It's, it's not like, you know, the, the, the tide will turn and then they'll, you know, the, the same person can knock on the door and say, Hey, remember me? I, I took that big pay bump one back. I'm ready to come work for you. And it's like, oh, sorry. Yeah. The, the closest time I could see this in my personal lifetime that I experienced was the dot-com bubble where, where I, I was, I was in the situation where a lot of young people are today. When you're early in my career, I got a phone calls regularly and consistently, especially as soon as I had my CPA, you know, and, and I was, it was, Oh, go ahead and leave here. Get 10 K more, go here to get 20 K more, get here, get 10 to 20 K more. It was consistent, regular, but then the dot-com bubble hit. And all that excess, right, went away and it took a long time to recover. And once again, for those who were adding value, extraordinarily scary time. But the part that you said, I don't think is being fully understood by people is some of these things will never come back. Yeah. You know, they're they're going to, because the cost ratio is permanently going to be 
in India or in South America or in Romania, right? You know, I mean, there's going to be areas where people are going to go to where it's going to be lower cost. And as much as we want to say, um, this, it, you can't fight this. And then, of course, can you blame the employer, right, who can't keep the controller because they keep on leaving every three hours? You know, <laughs> it feels like, you know, yeah. because they're leaving the next job. So it's, it's a, I don't know, once again, know how quickly it's going to take, but, you know, I thought this was going to happen to 2030, but you made a comment about, like you said, or everything's kind of accelerated by 10 years, you know, because of, because of COVID, I thought this mass risk of extreme people waking up and all of a sudden not being able to find jobs, right? Because it's been all these efforts that are happening. Forget about automation, right? That we haven't talked about today. Forget about, you know, software writing software, you know, forget about the different things that are taking place. And, and next thing we know, people are going to wake up. And once again, where am I adding value today? Can I actually even get a job, you know, or if I do take a job, Am I going to be taking it back at my old rate again? You know, right. is, it, is it going to be in this mash and mash and deflationary period where you're okay of you're going to take something for a hundred dollars an hour today, but you're going to have to go back to making sixty dollars an hour, right, in the future, yeah. right? Because that is the globalization rate for somebody's willing to pay for your role. I'm just, anyways, I'm just, you know, it's it's a totally arbitrage as you mentioned. This whole thing is, and it just it's going to be super curious to see where it plays out. So, how do you measure success with your clients and and you know with your firm? So we, we, we actually kind of call it our, it's our own triple wing. So, and I'm just looking over here because I've got it written on my wall here, but happy clients, great lifestyle, profitable business, right? I mean, that's, that's, we, and, and that I don't think those are mutually exclusive. In fact, I think to do it right, you need all three of those. And then overall, you know, it's, and it's, I'll, I'll tell the story. So you mentioned my partner, Kristen, and she's just a rock star and amazing. And I, couldn't have done this without her. You know, we did this together. But when we started Breakaway and the investment company that holds Breakaway, our her true north was to bring joy to accounting, right? And that is still our true north, which is which. At first, I was just like, oh, really, I'm going to be embarrassed. But a, we get clients who say, if you're brave enough to put joy, right? Because ours, and you know, I know you started in that industry. I, I've always been peripherally in the accounting industry there's people who are passionate about what they do. They're passionate about numbers, but somehow we've put this layer of that sucks the joy out of it. And it should be, it's, it's a fun industry. If you love numbers, there's no better place to be. So that's our, you know, really measuring, measuring success is are we adding joy, right? Are our clients loving it? Are, do they finally say, I never really knew what it was like to have a good CFO. When I hear that, that's, I've done my job because they're like, you know, not only have they helped me improve my business, I actually like talking to them. I don't dread, you know, my monthly call with my CFO who makes me feel stupid, who, you know, talks in acronyms and, you know, it's like actually, and, you know, so, so long winded answer, but it's, you know, probably more than anything is just joy. Yeah, that's great. That is, I, I appreciate that. And what you described. I'm kind of curious now, uh, forgive me here of asking the additional question, but how do you measure that? How do you measure joy? That's, I, I, I should hire you to tell me <laughs> because we, it, it is something that we, we wrestle with. I mean, it, it's, it's the true North. When we go through every decision we make, we ask ourselves, will this add or subtract joy? And we've had some hard conversations about either people or clients to say, no, they're, you know, they're, they're sucking the joy. Ultimately, I would love some sort of joy index. It's it's probably somewhere in a net promoter score, but maybe even a little bit more, a little bit more existential. 
Yeah, no, I, it would be really interesting to come up with something or right where you can measure and compare right periods of periods because you don't want to be just pure feeling based, right? But you want it to, but there is something to that. Yes. You know, there's something true that you're waking up and you're happy to go to work and you're enjoying what you do. And, and I, I appreciate it. You know, one of the things you would remember this period of time, but when Sarbanes-Oxley came in hard, you know, once again, post.com bubble, right? Talk about sucking the life out of the joy of, yes. of, of accounting, especially in publicly traded accounting. I mean, it just made it awful. As a matter of fact, I think I, I, mean, I should never say never, but I have not missed not working for a publicly traded company again after being with them for five years and putting in their first Sarbanes-Oxley implementation because it just was put the fear of God, right? Into every single debit and credit transaction you did. And it's like, the goal here is to find the truth. Right. And, and enjoy tying things out at the end of the day. And, and that's what it should be about. And, and fraud is fraud. That's actually separate. Yes. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's separate from the fact that you could have your debits and credits, but if somebody's robbing from you, have the controls in place to put that in. But to get very appropriate minded people who are worried about going to jail all the time in the US, you know, it, it's we've got things a little messed up with there and it's not very joyful. But I love it how finding a way to measure that. Uh, that's perfect. So let's move on to the personal side because I always like to ask this question. You got a you got a lot of a huge B hack, you know, 25 to 25,000, right? You had this this real audacity and it, I love it to like really change this whole industry and be the player, right? The be be the those who want to come to you and your services to get to there. So how in the heck do you keep yourself, yourself <laughs> balanced, right? So you're not going crazy and going, uh, where are we at? We had 25 today, we had 100 today, 150. You know, g- give me some guidance what's keeping you um, focused and at the same time sane through all of this. So you mentioned it in my, in my intro. I forgot I had written that, but I am still... I'm a cyclist at heart. I've been a cyclist since college and something about just getting out and riding. And I mean, at the end of the day, there is no finish line, which I know is trite, but it's true. And, um, and in fact, the cool thing, so breakaway is a cycling term, you know, and I don't know if, you know, if you watch the Tour de France, yes, you'll okay. have, and, and really that's, we named breakaway really intentionally because what's fascinating about a breakaway is so again for people who are listening who don't know what a breakaway is it's when you've got the peloton and there'll be a group of knuckleheads five or ten that spin out and 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 just take the lead right those people who broke away actually they're they don't win the tour de france they're doing it because it's fun because it's exciting because because why not because you can and that's what we're doing we 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 do want to change our industry we want to break away but Deloitte will always be Deloitte and all the top 100 will always be the top 100. We just want to set the bar. So, so going back to, I think about that one on my bike, right? There's something about, you know, you're, you're cycling along and then all of a sudden you, you, you see a stop sign. You're like, okay, I'm going to sprint to that stop sign. Why? Because you can, because it's fun. That's great. I, I love that. And so, and I, once again, I just want to add, because it, just for purpose of this conversation, you found a way, right, to 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 challenge yourself on, on the site. So, how do you measure success in that world, right? Of of you kind of mentioned it seems to be the process of breaking away. I don't know. Is there something you've thought about that from like you know how you know where? Um, I hate to use the term balance because that's the right thing, wrong, wrong word to say. But you know you're in the right groove, right? Because you're functioning properly. Can you tell when you're bicycling when you've you've hit that right where you you've done your best and you kind of get off the bike and you're like, I've done it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. So, so cyclists will, if they hear this or understand there is, there's a, 
you just get in a, a certain rhythm and a certain pattern and you know you're in the groove, right? And so it's it's instinctual. It's not a, you know, it's not like I'm gonna look at Strava, which is a cycling app, or my, you know, my my cyclometer or my iWatch. You just know when you've got that, where you've got the right cadence, you're you're in the drops, you know, you've got, and it doesn't matter whether there's a wind at your back or in your front, you just you you know it. And honestly, Carl, the cool thing right now is I know it in my personal life. I mean, I wake up every day with joy. Right. And we're, you know, we're adding advisors, we're adding clients, but we're doing it in the right way. And I've, I've, I've never had more fun in my life. Wow. That's, that's awesome to be able to say. And, and so that is a, that's a true testimony to that. So, okay. Final question. I always like to ask Martin, as you know, you prepped for what, what is a book that you'd recommend our audience? So it kind of started this whole conversation in my head. And, and doing something outside of, you know, the more traditional big firm. And it's a book called Originals by Adam Grant. And the, it's how nonconformists move the world. And it, it, took me, it took me quite a few years because, again, you know, I've got the black blazer and the white shirt. And I've got all the things, right? But how much of a nonconformist I am. And so, so that, that book, I read it. I really recommend it. And it's just about change agents. And, again, how change agents don't necessarily even win all the time but they're just a catalyst and that's, it's fun to be that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So where, where could uh, people learn more about you and breakaway? So breakaway feel free. I, you can reach me through the website. It's www.breakawayba as B as in breakaway advisor, breakawayba.com. And um, I'd be delighted to chat with anyone about this crazy thing that we're doing. Perfect. Thank you, uh, Martin. This has been a, a real treat to hear about. I love these big macro discussions we're talking, but I also super proud of you for finding a way to have success in it, right? Because it's not an easy environment and, and you're finding a way to create opportunity for what's really needed, right? For, for organizations that are losing their talent and to be able to make sure that they could get books and get it at an affordable price, you know, so they can get that done. So um, really proud of you for doing that. I, I certainly wish you the best on these huge hit your BHAG and I'm sure we'll have further conversations with that. So thank you so much, Martin, for um, being here today. Likewise, Carl, my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And to everyone else, we're wishing you the very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com podcast.